welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. David and Goliath are perhaps some of the most well-known characters in the Bible. Their names are also often used as metaphors when an underdog wins. You may sometimes feel like you're facing a metaphorical Goliath in your own life, something so big that there's no way you could win. But we know the end to the story, David wins. But how does a young shepherd with no armor defeat a well-trained giant? In this week's message, Pastor David Cartwright walks us through David's story to show us that David's faith in God is what really wins the day. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you to turn in your scripture to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. As we go to our message today, we'll be reading there. So as you uh, turn there, would you begin with me in a word of prayer. Oh God, as we turn to your word today, again, we pray that uh, the truth of your word would find a place of lodging within our hearts. I pray, Lord, for the power and the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that I might speak words of your truth, that they would be spoken in simplicity, full of grace, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing that we receive now, we give to you and only to you the praise and the glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So we come today to uh, another of our familiar uh, old Sunday school lessons. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I asked for a show of hands. I I think uh, most hands went up when I asked how many of you were kind of raised going to Sunday school or Bible school in the summertime. Uh, And we're looking at some of these stories that have been quite familiar to us. And today we come to one that is just widely known as David and Goliath. It may be the Bible narrative that is most known to us culturally. Uh, You you, you won't find too many people uh, to whom you could say David and Goliath, even if they don't know where to find it in the Bible. They're familiar with that analogy of of, uh, the clearly superior opponent who finds uh, defeat by an unsuspecting uh, challenger. Uh, we, we use the terminology in our culture, facing, facing the giants or facing your giants, to encourage people as they look and identify the most challenging things in their lives and face them with confidence, knowing that uh, they, they have a chance of, of toppling those giants in their lives. And so this narrative is really woven into our Uh, culture very strongly. And so we're going to look at this text. Chapter 17 in the book of 1 Samuel is quite lengthy. By no means are we going to read all of it, so I want to kind of summarize for you uh, what's there until we get to the core of it that I want to focus on today. Actually, we begin talking about David in chapter 16, and so we'll kind of get a running start there. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, David is introduced. You'll remember that his predecessor as king of Israel was named Saul. He was the first human king of the people called the Israelites. God had uh, consented that they could have a king because that's what everybody wanted. Samuel, at this time, is the priest, and so he's the real godly influence among the Israelites. 
Uh, Samuel finds out in the beginning of chapter 16 that God has now rejected Saul and his leadership over Israel. And so uh, God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem, to the home of a man named Jesse, and there he will identify the person who is to be the next king. So Samuel goes, uh, Jesse shows to Samuel all of his seven older uh, sons, God says it's none of these, and finally Samuel says, is there another son? And he says, yes, the youngest is out doing what? What is he doing? He's, he's watching the sheep, right? He's a shepherd. He's, he's shepherding his father's flock. Okay, I want that image in your mind. And so they send for him, David comes in, and God says to Samuel, this is the one. This is the one that I'm choosing to, uh, to shepherd, to lead my people next. And so Samuel anoints David at that time to be the next king of Israel. Now Saul doesn't know that yet, but we as the readers do. Uh, chapter 16 kind of ends with a short narrative in which Saul is described as having, has, has an evil spirit that comes upon him. Uh, it's just a bad spirit. It, it, uh, it, it bothers him, uh, sends him into a bad state. And so he's looking for somebody to soothe him, to calm his spirit. And somebody says, hey, we've heard of this, uh, this young fellow. He's a great musician. We'll send for him. And so they send for David. David comes, plays his harp for Saul, and Saul's spirit is soothed. And so at that time, Saul kind of takes a liking to David. And so he says, I want him to stay with me. He'll be my armor bearer. And so Saul kind of puts some claim upon uh, David's talents at that time. And that kind of sets up where the narrative goes next. And I think that's important because the very next thing we're told is this lengthy narrative that we just summarize using the term David and Goliath. Okay, And I think it's important to kind of note how the narrative fits into the larger scheme of things because I think it tells us something about what the text is supposed to mean and tell us about, about Israel and about who David is going to be. Okay, So when chapter 17 begins, and again we're just going to kind of summarize part of this, we're introduced to these people called the Philistines. Okay. There, there's still a lot of scholarly work going on about who these Philistines really were. We're not going to delve into that, but these were a people group who lived down around the coast, uh, the Mediterranean coast there. They, they lived in that coastal plain. One of the important things for us to understand is that technologically, we could say culturally, but especially technologically, these people were advanced. They were advanced as far, in compared to the, to the people of Israel especially with the technology of, of developing iron, okay? They knew how to make and, and, and uh, develop iron into implements. And that's really important when it comes to things like being in battle, okay? So if you want to know who has the better weapons, the Philistines do, okay? That's, that, that's quite clearly made, okay? Uh, the Philistines in the Bible are generally told to us, we get the picture that they're always at war with the people of Israel, that's not necessarily always true. I don't want to tell you that, that they were buddy-buddies or anything like that. But there are times, especially next week when we look at Samson, there, there, there's these times when they're uh, kind of at least somewhat neighborly, even though they may not have been best friends, but you know, they weren't always just at war with each other. But as chapter 17 begins here, that's, that's exactly what was going on. And so the Philistines have come out, the, the, the people, the army of Saul has come out, 
the Philistines are on one hillside, the people of Israel are on another hillside with a valley in between, and they, are, they have positioned themselves to be in battle. But they're not really going down to be in battle, because the Philistines have this guy whose name is what? God. Okay, I want to make sure you're awake and still tracking with me. His name is Goliath, okay? Goliath is like their, their premier warrior, okay? And interestingly, there's a little bit of a mirroring with what was going on with Israel at that time, okay? What is it that you notice about Goliath, just from your memory? He's big, right? If you follow the Hebrew text, he's described as being over nine feet tall. This is a big, imposing guy. He's described, the, 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 the uh, writer of uh, 1 Samuel describes his armor, how much it weighs. It describes the, the javelin that he has strapped between his shoulders, his spear that is, the, the, the beam of it is like a weaver's beam. The head of it weighs so much. His, his, his armor, his helmet, you know, everything about him is intended to give you the picture of largeness of intimidation. It's like the picture of the one that you know, if you were putting your bet down on who's going to win the battle, he would be your obvious choice. And it's intentionally described that way, okay? So he comes out, intimidating as he is, day after day he comes out and he issues a challenge. And it kind of goes like this, why should we all come down and be in battle with each other? I'll come out on the part of the Philistines you send me your best guy, and we'll have it out. And whoever, whichever one of us wins, then the loser will be the servant of the other side. And so day after day, he goes out and, and he issues this taunt to the Israelites. But the thing about the Israelites is no one has the courage to go down and face him. Now, if anyone among the Israelites should be going down to face him, who should it be? It should be Saul, right? He's the king. And remember why the people thought he was going to be a good king in the first place. Do you remember? Because he was imposing. The Bible says he was a head taller than all the other men, okay? You see, the, the Israelites looked at Saul kind of the same way that the Philistines probably looked at Goliath. Look how big he is. He's our man, okay? So there's really not that much difference between the two, okay? The only thing is Saul's not going to go out there and face this guy, which tells us something that we need to know about Saul. And it's not that he was a coward, but it's that he forgot what he should have remembered, the very thing that David did remember, okay? Follow with me. So, so they're going out day after day, uh, Goliath issues the challenge, uh, nobody meets the challenge, nobody will go down to face him. David is, uh, he, he's still back with, with his father. Uh, and so the father says, uh, your three older, older brothers are out with Saul, they're, they're in, in battle. Uh, go out, take some supplies, take some bread, take a little bit of cheese for the commander. Go out and check on them, see how they're doing, and come back and report to me. So he sends David out to the battle line. So David goes out, he takes the supplies with him. I want you to look at, at verse 15. There's something there that I, I think is important for us to note. Verse 15 
says, But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Now, if you're just reading through chapter 17, you may very easily gloss over that. But I think it says something that's important for us to know, in that it reminds us that David didn't lose the core of his identity. David is what? He's a, he's a shepherd. There is a, there's a pull in this. So, say, so David is being sent out, and we could, we could honestly say God is sending him out there. This is, this is an appointment that is to be made for him. But, it, it, but it's not something to which he goes so that he can lose what he was. Saul wants him to be an armor bearer. But there's something about the fact that David will not lose who he is at his core. He was going out to minister to Saul. He's going out to check on the guys in battle. But he's still going back to who he knows he is. He's a shepherd of his father's flock. And he doesn't lose that. I think that's important for us to note. So David goes out there. Uh, he, he, he shows up. He goes on out to the battle lines where his brothers are. And guess what happens while David is out there? Sure enough, as, as it happens every day, Goliath comes out and he issues his challenge. Okay, And David hears it. So uh, David hears uh, Goliath issue this challenge. And um, let's just start reading in verse 24. Um, David's overheard some of the guys talking. Uh, they're, they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, Sure, whoever goes out to face this guy, the king will probably give him a daughter in marriage. He will surely reward him greatly. And so David's attention is up. In verse 24, it says, When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who, who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and makes his father's house free of Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? There's something powerful in that last phrase. David does not only see this encounter as who is stronger militarily. This is not just about one person being in battle against another. David looks out to Goliath and says, this guy is bringing reproach upon Israel. And when you bring reproach upon Israel, you bring reproach upon whom? Israel's God. And David understands this. I think that's the thing that infuriates David. How can he stand out there how can we stand here and let him get by with bringing reproach upon our God? Now, part of this you read and you go, well, it kind of sounds like David was a little self-interested there, you know? Oh, really? What? You think the king's going to enrich, okay? It does sound like that, doesn't it? But let's not also lose what really was motivating David. He sees this as an attack upon God. In fact, verse 26 continues, and David says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? There's symbolism in that, okay? It's a mark of who he is or isn't. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies 
of the living God? There's the question. Who is this guy, nine feet and however many inches he is? Who does he think he is? And who are we standing there letting, letting him get by with taunting our God? And David essentially says at that point, we have to do something about this. So it goes on a little bit. Uh, we're going to skip a few verses. David keeps asking around. The brothers get wind of it. Uh, the, the, the brothers get a little upset with David. Oh, what are you doing out here? You're sticking your nose into business where it doesn't belong. You see, they, they, you know, that's the way older brothers are, aren't they? But David just kind of rolls with it, and he keeps inquiring, you know, what are we going to do about this? Read with me at verse 31. And here's where I really want us to focus on the text. In verse 31, it says, When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, for, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fall on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. Okay, here's the assumption on Saul's part. Saul looks at this situation and sees Goliath, and he sees David. And his assumption about David is that he is ill-prepared to face Goliath. I will suggest to you that Saul was wrong in this way. David was not ill-prepared to face Goliath. David was differently prepared to face Goliath. Saul only saw warrior versus warrior. He did not see that one warrior was equipped in a very different way to enter into the battle. That's going to get at the lesson for you and for me. Okay? Saul says, you can't go. You're, I mean, this guy's been a warrior all his life. He's trained, he's, and you, you're not where he is. But David said to Saul, this is verse 34, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took the lamb from his flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. You see, there it is again. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. You see, David recognizes, God has been training me for this. God has been preparing me to go into this battle. The only thing that's different is that Saul has different training, okay? Saul, or Saul, excuse me. Goliath has different training. Saul's mistake was that he thought he had to fight the battle on Goliath's terms. David knew better. David knew that he could fight the battle on his own terms and come out as a winner. Okay, let's continue to read. Verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. 
So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. That phrase that is twice repeated, I think is important. He has not tested them. Okay? It goes back to that same idea. Saul is saying, okay, if you're going to go into army, you need to wear the battle armament for this battle. You know, you need to be dressed appropriately. David's response is, but that's not how I was prepared. I have, I'm not used to wearing these garments. I'm used to wearing the garments that I've been wearing all these years, being nurtured. God has been preparing me, but not to wear these clothes. You're wanting me to go out in something with which I'm ill-prepared. I'm not going to be successful dressed like this. I need to go in the way I have been prepared. And that's the way David insists on going. He was not ill-prepared. He was differently prepared. So David, he, he, uh, verse 40, let's not skip this. He took a stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Many of you have already been educated to this, but in, for those who have not, uh, there's something that's key to this narrative. What David had in his possession was not a child's toy. I had a slingshot when I was young. Some of you folks may have also. Something that you just held in your hand with a, you know, a rubber strap and a pouch and you pulled it back and you went like this. Did anybody have one when you grew up? I did. Okay, this is not what he had. What he had, I will go so far as to say, what David had in his possession was a military-style weapon. Now, he may not have been in the military, but this kind of sling, it has been shown, has been used by mil ancient militaries very effectively. There was an article I came across by National Geographic. They were referencing a, a, an archaeological find where there had been a Roman battle. Now, obviously, we're not talking exactly about where David was, but it's pretty similar. There was a statement made after they had done studies and experiments with what the Roman soldiers were using in their slings. They said there was a, if they took a 50-gram lead projectile and slung it in one of their sling implements, and here's the quote, it would have slightly less stopping power than a 44 Magnum handgun. Okay? This is not a child's toy. Now, David did not have lead projectiles. He had stones. I can assure you that he was quite able to use it effectively. Are you with me? He was not ill-prepared to go to this battle. Let's, let's have just a moment of uh, just a, a brief bit of levity, okay? We, re we recognize that when we read history, it is his story, okay? History is written from a certain perspective. Can you imagine what the Philistine version of this would read? It would probably sound something like this. Our champion Goliath went out only to be undermined by the 
by the cheating ways of a, a young Israelite who brought who 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 brought a sling to a sword battle. Goliath expected somebody to meet him on his own terms. And David said, no, I'm going to meet him on my terms. I'm going to be dressed in what I'm accustomed to being dressed in. I'm going to take the weapons with which I am trained. You see, that's really the lesson. And we can recognize that looking back. We can recognize the fact that David didn't want to wear Saul's armor. We can recognize that David was quite capable with a sling. But I want you to take that image, that, that theme, if you will. Not fighting the fight using the enemy's weapons. Not fighting the fight on the enemy's terms. David went out on his terms, on the terms of God. Let's just finish reading this little section. Read with me at verse uh, 45. Uh, David has gone out, the Philistine, Goliath looks at him, oh my gosh, you puny little, how dare you come out to me, come here and I'll, I'll make you such that I'll feed your flesh to the beasts of the field. David goes out in verse 45, he's, it says, David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in what? He didn't even mention the sling. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This is God's theme for the people of Israel. I want God to know who I am through you. And David understands that. In verse 47 it says, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When I read those verses, I thought, you know what? This lesson is not just for the Philistines. This lesson is for the people of Israel as well. Because they have forgotten what David remembered. That they were representative of Almighty God. And the fact that they forgot it was the reason they were afraid to go out into battle. And when David said that God does not deliver by sword or by spear, he was not suggesting that all you need is a sling. What he's really saying is that God delivers using different weapons, different styles of weapons, not the weapons that you all are used to using. God has his own weapons. And you see, that, my friends, really gets to how this lesson can speak to us. We can be familiar with all the historical aspects of this text. We can remember it and, and, and look at David and say, you know, wow, I mean, maybe he really wasn't such an underdog after all. Maybe when you look at it from the right perspective, Goliath wasn't the giant that we thought that he was. But let's not miss how this lesson really should teach us. What weapons are the people of God called Christians supposed to be carrying into the world? As I thought about this text, it occurs to me that so often when you 
when you just look at the things that are going on, when you read the narrative and, and, and how the Christians are portrayed in, uh, in the news, uh, it, it just seems to me that we very often are trying to fight the battle using the wrong weapons. We're trying to fight the battle using the weapons of the world. Christians aren't given the weapons of the world. Now don't read that into me saying that we shouldn't use the tools that are available to us. You know, in our 21st century day, should we be using things like social media to propagate the gospel? Absolutely. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We, we can use the tools that are available to us, but it's more about the methods, it's the strategies, it's the words that we, that we use and the attitudes that we bring that suggest to me, and, and maybe, you know, some of it might, you know, in, in our current day, uh, you know, we're trying so hard to wage war against the, you know, how we see ourselves oppressed in the world, you know, because of coronavirus, there are places where churches are being told that you can't meet. And, you know, sometimes I read how those stories are playing out and it just seems like, you know, we're just, we're choosing the weapons of the world to try to fight the battle rather than the weapons of God. Or, you know, our fight for, for uh, racial justice in the world, which I believe that there ought to be justice for all people. And I mean all people, certainly. But I listen to so much of the narrative there, and, and sometimes the Christian influence tells me the same thing. It's like we're choosing the ways and the weapons of the world to try to fight the battle. And God called us to something different. Think, if you will, about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who made a, an, an interesting statement when he was standing before Pilate. You read it in the Gospel according to John in the 18th chapter. Pilate has this guy who's been brought to him, He's trying to figure out who he really is. The people are suggesting that you're a king. Are you a king or aren't you a king? And in verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not what? Of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. What he's saying is, I know there's a battle. But the battle that I'm here to fight is not the battle that you think I'm here to fight. And it's not the battle that these people around here think I'm here to fight. Oh, I could do that. He could have done that. He could have rallied his troops, come and save me, come deliver me, we'll try to fight. You see, but he knows that the, that's not the real battle. And so he says, that we, we have different kingdoms going on here. I'm here to fight God's kingdom battle. And he knew that the way he was going to do that was not rallying the troops, but it was giving his very life as a sacrifice. Jesus understood that there was another way of looking at it. There's a different battle which calls for different weapons. Just out of curiosity, I did a little word search in my Bible, not in my paper Bible, on my online Bible, which makes it very easy using my New American Standard translation, which I tend to like to use, I wanted to find how many times in the Bible text the word weapons was used. Now, you find it quite a bit in the Old Testament. But you know how many times you find it in the New Testament? Three times. And again, this is New American Standard. If you use a different translation, it may show up uh, variously. Three times. 
One of those places, again, is in John 18, where the writer simply tells us that the, the, the guard that came out from the chief priests and the Pharisees came to arrest Jesus, quote, carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. Of course they did. They were fighting the way, they were fighting the battle of the world. The other two places that you find it are in 2 Corinthians. Some of you ladies may think, boy, it's interesting how many times 2 Corinthians keeps coming up lately, right? Since you all just finished a study on this. And I really want to share the two places in 2 Corinthians where this word weapons is used because I want you to hear it in context. Written by the Apostle Paul, first in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, and I just want to get, a, it's in verse 7, but I want to get a running start from verse 4. And Paul is talking about their ministry, uh, all the things that were associated with Paul's ministry. Uh, Paul says in verse 4, But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. And so you get a feel for what Paul is saying there, that our ministry is marked by gentleness and humility and kindness and patience and using weapons, not of the weapons, not swords and stones and things like that, but the weapons of righteousness. Those are the weapons we use. And he says it again in chapter 10, in verse 4, but I want to read to you verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's a straightforward statement. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You see the same idea. Paul says, look, we don't fight using the weapons of the world. That's not the way our ministry is. We fight using the weapons of God, the spiritual weapons with which God prepares his people. And you and I are prepared with them. That's why Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God. Y'all are familiar with that, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And he goes on and describes the armor of God. How? We put on a belt, something that girds us. What is that belt? It's a belt of truth. Okay? That's how we are girded. That's what holds everything together. We have a breastplate, but it's not braid of bronze. It's righteousness. That's what protects our heart. We put things on our feet, but they're not armor. It's whatever prepares us to go into the world carrying a gospel of peace. We have a shield, but it's not made of metal. It's faith. It's confidence in God. We have a helmet that protects our mind. It's the knowledge of our salvation. And we have a sword. But it's not cast in iron. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
You see, friends, we are sent into the world. As David was sent to confront the force that opposed God, but we are sent to use different weapons. And I realize that I'm sharing a thought that, I mean, you'll have to think about this and ponder it and just kind of consider maybe if you're not seeing the same thing, that we really make a mistake when we try to fight the battles on the world's terms. Because you and I are prepared by prayer and worship. We are prepared by becoming familiar with the truth that God wants us to carry in the world. The, 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 the word of God that is all centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has prepared us with weapons by which we can go into the world. And that, and that through us, God will take down the giants. But we will not succeed if we try to meet the giant on his terms. We will only succeed when we go on God's terms, using the weapons that God has prepared for his people. And so you see this message of David and Goliath is more than just a nice children's story. And it's more than just a, 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 an analogy that our culture can apprehend and use to, in, to encourage underdogs. It's a message that reminds the church that God's appointed man on that day so long ago went out successful only because his confidence was in God and in the preparation that God had given to him. And we only have to remember the very same thing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. I thank you for David, for reminding him, for him not forgetting, Lord, who he was, how you have prepared him. I thank you, God, that he was able to look at the giant and essentially say, you're no giant at all. Because God brings the victory. And so, Father, I pray that as we go about our days, that, that you would help us to stop and think, to just examine our, our, our words, our methods, our approach. Lord, we want to stand for you. We want to stand for Jesus Christ. But help us, Lord, to stand using the right weapons so that the gospel may shine brightly. Jesus Christ may stand in and through us. For we pray it in his precious name. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.